Welcome back to the Boneyard Podcast, everybody. This is your host, Jared Shaffin, along with Artemis Brower. We're coming to you this week with episode 120. Wow. Already one, two, zero. We're putting these things down, it feels like. I mean, one, yes, sir. It, that, it's Fresh crazy. every week. I mean, it feels like just yesterday we did an episode 100. We're already a fifth of the way to episode 200. Yeah. I mean, we're in our third football season. This is crazy. Um, but yeah, Artie, how, how's things going in your neck of the woods? Good, man. Doing doing real good. The last few, uh, couple weeks have been a whirlwind with just work. Went, uh, went to celebrate one of my good friends. Uh, that's the party down in Austin, Texas. That was, a, that was a phenomenal time down there in Austin. Never, never been. My first time in Austin. Third time in Texas. Uh, but uh, it was a phenomenal time down there. I got to catch a UT Austin football game for the first time. So definitely the biggest uh, football stadium I've ever been inside. And uh, the atmosphere was pretty good. It was it was a pretty good atmosphere for a uh, Texas team that is not, you know, up to the standards that they're usually, uh, you know, up to. But then again, Texas football hasn't been that good over the last four or five years. So, uh, but it was definitely a good time, were... time in Austin. I, I huh? was listening to that game on, on the way down to Greenville, and I, I thought they were going to lose that game. It it was a good game. Honestly, like like we were in for for a good. I mean, Iowa State had their number for three three and a half quarters, and Texas was able to pull it out. So it was definitely a good game. And uh, when, yeah, I, he, I highly recommend going to Austin. When he fumbled that ball with like what two minutes left, I was like, oh man, you had your shot. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Well, Artie, number twenty. Do you do you have a number twenty for me? Man, the one you got written down. I can't think of a better player than that. Uh, that that's just. I'm not gonna name anybody that's better than one you got, so I'm just gonna let you have the floor. Yeah, I mean Barry Sanders. I mean, one of, if not the best running back of all time. Uh, I mean, ridiculous. That, that do I need to say more? I mean, ten-time Pro Bowler, six-time first-team All-Pro. Uh, he was one-time MVP, and he's a Hall of Famer. Look, I don't need to go into stats to tell you who Barry Sanders is. He's got to be on a like a top ten list of best players to never win a ring, as far as any sport, like yeah. across the world, like best player to never win a championship. I, I I could yeah, him and Matt Ryan are probably on that list together. I'm I mean I'm yeah, I did. <laughs> Matt Ryan's on that list, but he's not top ten on that list. <laughs> I mean him, Dan Marino. Um, I mean that you could go, you can go down the list. Um, another, another good 20 Ray Allen. That is a good one. Yeah. I forgot Ray Allen wore, wore number 20. That's a, that's a very good one. Manu Ginobili. I mean, there's some good 20. Hit, hit me with, hit with the, with the three point assassins. Uh, that there's some pretty good twenties, but, uh, Artie, let's talk about, uh, a game that ECU just played this past week that I don't know. I, I probably still have heart palpitations because of it. Yeah. Um, what a thriller. I mean, we talk about NCAA football, like the video game. That game was an instant classic. I mean, that was, you couldn't have asked for a better football game. The highs, the lows, people were firing Mike Houston in the first quarter. I mean, already. What can you tell me about this this four overtime win? I mean, I, first of all, I was very fortunate to be able to watch most of this game. I, I missed the first five to ten minutes of the, of the first quarter, um, but I was very fortunate. We, you know, we were at the Airbnb in Austin. 
And uh, the Yankees were playing the Guardians that night, too. So Zach's a big Yankees fan. So we were just flipping back and forth from the Yankees game to the ECU game. And we were, you know, th- we were pre-gaming. So, I mean, we're, we're steady drinking. And we're pre-gaming. We're about to go out. And Kamen is, is, is sitting there, and he's ready to go. And, and me and Zach are both like, we're not going anywhere until either one of these games finish. We're just not going anywhere. We're going we're gonna to sit here and watch these games until it finishes. If, if we don't leave and it hits sound, it is what it is. But we're going we're gonna to sit and watch these games. That was incredible and, and, and devastating at the same time. It, it's just one of those games where you're like, oh, my God, what are we doing? Oh, my God, that was amazing. Oh, my God, no, this can't be happening. Oh, my God, this, that really happened? It was, it was one of those types of, of games. I, my, my emotion watching that um, was, was all over the place. It really was all over the place. It didn't help that I was a little inebriated, too. So just, you know, the, the resilience, though, I will say I'm, I'm very, very proud of the re- re- resilience. Make no mistake about it. It was an ugly win. It was a win nonetheless. You got, you got to pick the dub. It was an ugly win, but it was still a win. I love the resilience from ECU. We could have folded early. I mean, we were down, what, 14-0, 17-0 early 17-0. In, that, in that ball game. 17-0 on that ball game, came back, fought, you know, got it, got it real manageable before halftime, and then, you know, it was just a shootout <laughs> from then on after. So the resiliency from ECU, but I will say this is a part of the inconsistencies that we've seen from this team. You know, we need to be able to not start slow. We need to be able to come out and play a more complete game. Um, but, you know, like we said a few episodes ago, we had, a, we had a game like this. You know, we can get an ugly win. It's good that you got the win but there's so many teaching points from this game that you can go back and learn from. So Mike Houston was probably so happy that they won this game. Not because they won. How about those freaking pirates? Oh my, I I about pissed myself when he came in there like that. Um, What a run through a brick wall. uh, Just the way. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't expecting that. You see him fired up in press conferences, but I wasn't expecting him that fired up. He, I mean, he even, I think he skipped straight from, I think he skipped Jeff Charles and came straight into the media. <laughs> like, I, I don't think he sat down with Jeff Charles. I think he just came straight into the media room. Like, it was insane. He wanted um, to get at y'all. That's what it was. Oh, he, he wanted to get he at want, the media. He wasn't wanting to get after us because we, we don't, I mean, I'll, I'll call out when I need to call out, but he's talking, he's talking to some other people. He's talking to, I won't say who, but he's talking to some of those, some of those <laughs> beat writers. Um, but yeah, I mean, already they moved the ball well. They they struggled mm-hmm. at times. The the thing that stu- stood out to me, Seth Hennigan had thrown one interception all year. He threw two against ECU, and they were big interceptions. I mean, mm-hmm. the one Malik Fleming at the end of the first half gave first ECU half, yeah. a shot to to score quickly right after getting on the board. I mean, ECU scored 14 points and and or 13 points in the final minute and a half, um, mm-hmm. barring a missed extra point that wasn't on the kicker. Um, so do that, and then I mean, honestly, ECU was trying to get the ball back. I mean, Mike Houston for once in his life, I guess he realized he doesn't get paid more if he keeps his his timeouts. He uh right. He, he was calling. actually trying to put some points on the board. He, he started using his timeouts, and out he was trying to get the ball back, even with forty-five yeah. seconds left in, in a Memphis ball. Um, he I was trying to, too. Yep. he was trying to force it, and um, EC goes into the half down seventeen thirteen. Uh, Memphis scores a field goal on their first drive, or I think on their first drive, and then so you're looking at okay, it's still a one-score game, and then 
ECU uh, turns the ball over, I guess, and uh, the very next one of the very next plays is is a pick six. So ECU mm-hmm. controlled the ball, won the turnover battle, battle, and they moved the ball well. I mean, they spread it out. I, I think C.J. Johnson had like ninety yards. He had like two touchdowns. Isaiah yeah. Winstead had over 150 yards. Isaiah Winstead had like 135 yards receiving in the first half. So and then they that had to make play, man. I, that man is a he baller. That, that is he, wide he's going to join the thousand yard club. Yeah, I don't. I, I I'm happy you said that because I don't think there's any debate anymore. I definitely think Isaiah Winstead is one, and we still have great receivers. CJ Johnson still doing the same, but Isaiah Winstead is absolutely wide receiver one. He's going to be in that thousand yard club, if not way more than that. So, and then Keaton Mitchell, Keaton Mitchell won us that football game. I mean, with some of the way, some of his dancing to, to get into the end zone, I I think back, I think it was the third overtime that he kind of did like that stop step where, where he, he did a stutter, the broke the guy's ankles. He went flying and he just walked into the end zone uh, for, for an easy score that, I mean that he extended that play and got in, got six or got in the end zone, I guess, technically for two, and gave ECU a, ECU's defense a chance to get a stop and win the ball game. It, it, you know, the only thing that sucks about Keaton Mitchell being so great is that this is the last year we're going to see him. That's an NFL back. He's going to be gone. Yeah, he's gone. <laughs> he's he's going to be gone. <laughs> That's um, the only thing that sucks about it. He's, he's, he's incredible. Yeah, for sure. And we talk about adjust. We talk about the adjustments. Look. It sucks. Owen Dapper, uh, he, he's been replaced by a true freshman Andrew Conrad uh, at mm-hmm. place kicker. Dapper's still taking kickoffs. Um, but we said it last week. You got to have some kind of competition. Um, I think, I don't know, maybe we don't see Andrew Conrad start this week. Maybe it is Dapper. I think what, it, what that move did was it at least generated competition in the, in the, in the kicking room, in the specialist room. Um, mm-hmm. At least we can. Ho- that's all we can hope for. So I agree. Um, and if not, maybe this is the birth of a, of a new EC legend and in, in Andrew Conrad, who can maybe put the game on his foot and and win us some ball games. One can hope, but I mean, it's got to get. It can't get any worse. And, and that's you know <laughs> the, the good thing is it can't get any worse than what it's been. So for sure. Um, and then, like I said, Mike Houston. Finally, figuring out he does he can use his timeouts. He doesn't get to keep them for the next game. Um, that that's that's an adjustment, right? It's not some. I mean, in the past, he would have just said, "All right, I'm not going to use these." It sounds like it looked like he was uh, using all of his. I mean, he was going to use his timeouts. Um, he didn't ice his own kicker this time. Um, so, yeah, I mean that, and then. Uh, it seemed like after the first quarter, there were adjustments made on defense. I mean, right. you, you can look visibly at, see that. Yeah, you look at eighty-six, the tight end for Memphis. He's probably the best tight end in the conference right now, and I mean he he torched us. But he's usually a red zone threat, and he was getting open before they got in the red zone. He was getting open in uh in negative field, and I mean he he was getting first downs left and right third and long. He was, he was their guy. Um, ECU at one point, it was like, who's covering this man. Like nobody's covering this tight end. He's just open all the time. Um, ECU finally put Jeremy Lewis on him and, and 
that kind of put a stop to it going into the back half of the first half and then uh, for the rest of the game. So, uh, yeah, that, that's the good. Other good, Artie, a couple other things. Love the big borders back around the football field. Those things are clean. Yes, notice We that. need to keep that. that. Uh, the video board graphics for the throwback game, fantastic. And, oh, my gosh. Tecmo Bowl, that's incredible. And, and, oh, my gosh, those jerseys were fuego. Like, they were good on, on camera, even better in person. Um, so, yeah, shout out, Will. Um, thread away, tread away. Jesus, I'm still wanting to call him thread away because of his awesome threads. <laughs> he, he just needs to change his did name. We, did we? Did we mention Julius Wood? Did we? Did we mention the pick six? Yeah, I did when uh when I was talking about the turnover battle. I didn't. Okay, oh, we okay, glossed okay. over it. We glossed over it, but okay, um, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, want to make sure he got his love too because I was that that definitely was a was a tone setter. And what a quote by him. He <laughs> did you see his quote? No, I didn't. I didn't see the quote. He said, "This, this isn't going to be verbatim. I don't have it right in front of me." But he said something along the likes of, "When I caught it, I saw I had green gr- green grass, so I knew I had to go to the house." They tried. There were guys that tried to tackle me, but they weren't good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "This guy." That's- that's um, football, baby. That's so football. I love it. Um, yeah, but with the good, there's still some bad. I mean, Artie, you mm-hmm. said it earlier. We can't have a slow start. Um, we can't continue to have slow starts like this, like the game against NC State. If you right. play all four quarters the way you played the back half of last week and the second half of of the NC State game and other games down the, earlier in the season – if you play four quarters like that, you're going to be a team that's hard to beat. Yeah. Play hard-nosed yeah. competitive football. Um, and you can't do that, especially going into the stretch of the four new Big 12 teams. And no, I, I completely agree. And our, our trend is playing great in the second half and being dominant in the fourth quarter. But And as, as, as cute as that's been, <laughs> you know, the first seven weeks of the football season – it's not going to be good enough. And the damn sure they're going to be good enough against Central Florida, Houston, BYU, Cincinnati. So, I mean, we, we definitely cannot get off to those types of slow starts. If we're playing the way we play in the second half and even the fourth quarter, there's not a team on our schedule we can't beat. But it's that consistency, and, 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 it's, and it's keeping up with that. So I agree. Um, and then lastly, the ugly, Artie. It, it was embarrassing seeing the crowd. I mean, I think we had like 35,000, 38,000. But for homecoming, you, you that needs to be damn near sold out, especially with where this program has been and where they're going. You need you need better fan support at, in Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. I was I was gonna I was gonna say this, you know, watching it on TV, um, and, and I was kind of embarrassed because Zach and Zach and came and asked him, I was like, what's what's up with ECU? You know, we, we expected to, to see a, a full stadium, and it looks like there's only ten to fifteen thousand people out there on TV. It doesn't look like thirty thousand in that stadium. It, it looks damn near empty on, on TV. And so it's, it's, it's very, very embarrassing, especially when you have a program, you know, we're not, you know, we're not one in six. We're not, you know, we're, we're out here, you know, fighting. We're, we're playing hard. We're trying to turn this thing around. Yes, we, we've lost some games we shouldn't have lost this year. We've kind of played inconsistent. Not kind of, we have played inconsistent. Four and three, in my opinion, is not where we should be as a program, but we're still four and three. We're still above 500. And the fact that you're not coming out supporting these guys, which in years past, we would have full stadiums no matter what the record was, 
because Pirate Nation was just that fanatic is disappointing to see. So yeah, this this big game UCF coming in. I mean, this is this is a pure rivalry that we have with with Central Florida. They're coming in. We know they've beaten us six straight times. We know the heartbreaks that we've had against Central Florida. You can't get up for this game. You can't come out for this game. Late kick. I mean, come on. I mean, if you cannot make it to this game, I don't do this often. If you can't make it to this game, give your ticket to somebody that can. Get asses in seats. No, I, I will tell Pirate Nation. Artie's not going to be there. You're, the audio cut out, Artie, so I'm, I'm telling them you're not going to be there. Artie's not going to be there. Uh, he, he's got a wedding. People that schedule fall weddings are, are, can walk the plank. Am I am I back? Yeah, you're back. Okay, I had to I had to I had to cut the headphones off. I think they died on me, and that's my last set of headphones. <laughs> but yes, unfortunately, uh, my my friend decided to schedule a fall wedding right in the middle of football season, and I'm the best man, so I can't just not show up to it. So, unfortunately, I won't be there. But Pirate Nation, get your ass to this game. Yeah, I mean we're in the press box anyways. We can't cheer. Like right now, I might I, if depending on how that game's going, I might be down with uh, some of the some of the crazies down there in, in the boneyard and uh walking around I, i'm gonna i try to do that about once a game and come down to the come down to the fans uh it, it's too stuffy sometimes in the press box um all right Artie, you're bad to the bone player of the week bad to the bone player of the week has got to be julius wood we give we give the offense love all the time got to get a defense some love we don't see a pick six often so when you do see it and it was it was a forty seven yard pick six, so he had to go pretty much a long way to get there. Um, got it, you know that was a tone setter. That was a, that was a big time play in that game. Got to give the defense some love. Got to give Julius Wood some love. So uh, and shout out to Malik Fleming too. He also got a pick in that game. But uh, yeah, bachelor on player of the week definitely got to be Julius Wood. Yeah, we we give the offense so much love with this award. Um, and Julius Wood, he he's an easy one to to give it to. Um, but to change it up, Artie, off of somebody else on the defense, I, I would love to give it to the whole defense. But a guy yeah. that just he, – he had a kind of a quiet night. But, I mean, I, I don't have his stats pulled up right in front of me, but it seemed like he was all over the place. His name was getting called out so much. Uh, Chandre Mims. I mean, defensive lineman. He, it seemed like every other play he, he was doing something, whether it was a yeah. tackle for loss a sack, a big block. I mean, it it was something. Um, also, Ryan Jones damn near killed a man when he blocked him. <laughs> if you haven't seen that, go back and watch that Ryan Jones block. I got to like, see that block. I think I missed that block. I gotta, that I gotta block that was block. insane. Like, well, Ryan Jones is not a small man, so I, I believe it. And, and the way like he, he blocked him and he knew, he was like, he hit him, almost blindsided him. And the guy went down, and he he was already like celebrating with how how big of a block he he had uh, to get Keen Mitchell open on on the outside. So uh, yeah, I mean Ke- Ryan Jones, that that was one. It it reminded me of uh, the Justin Hardy block a couple years ago against uh, UNC. Yes, I know so, what you're talking. About. But uh, but Artie, we we've talked enough about Memphis. Let's talk about UCF a little bit. And who better to talk about UCF with than than Brandon Helwig? He he writes for Rivals.com, UCFSports.com. Uh, Artie, 
This interview is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package, the ultimate men's hygiene bundle, Join over 6 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the promo code BONEYARD20 at manscaped.com. If my math is correct, Artie, that's 12 million balls. The Performance Package 4.0 has arrived, and oh man, is it a game changer. Inside this package, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver, Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. First off, the Lawnmower 4.0, this trimmer is the future of grooming and, dare I say, the greatest ball trimmer ever. Their fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof and also has a 4,000 LED spotlight so you can have a more precise shave and really get into those uh, dark and dark and crusty areas. Don't don't need any crusty. Because the trimmer is waterproof, you can say goodbye to the mess on the bathroom floor. You thought that was good, but you want to take your grooming game even further to the next level. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which reduces nicks, snags, and tugs and those delicate nose holes. Artie, all they need to do is go to go to manscaped.com, use promo code BONEYARD20 for 20% off plus free shipping. 20% off plus free shipping with promo code BONEYARD20 at manscaped.com. Do it. Your balls will thank you. And here's our interview with Brandon Helwig of Rivals.com and UCFSports.com. This week on the Boneyard Podcast, we're pleased to be joined by a first-time guest. He, apparently, he's been to Greenville several times. Uh, he is he, he works for Rivals.com. He is Brandon Helwig. Brandon, welcome to the Boneyard Podcast. How's, how are we doing, my friend? It's an honor to be here. Uh, yeah, East Carolina. I mean, Greenville, it's a place I've been many times, and I guess I'll be making my final trip, uh, I guess, or at least the final for the foreseeable future. I'll be heading over. Yeah towards Raleigh on uh, Thursday and driving over to Greenville and uh, yeah, going to enjoy the weekend in Greenville, North Carolina. For sure. So are, are you in Orlando? Yes. Yes. I'm okay. right. Yeah. You know, I'm in, I'm in central Florida, Orlando. Uh, I've been covering UCF for, I guess, 20 plus years now. I kind of started when I was in uh, late wow. high school, honestly, with one of the very first, websites that focused on UCF. So I've been around a little bit. Uh, I've been to a lot of the, the UCF ECU games. Um, and really, I mean, it was when, when UCF joined conference USA in, in 2005, uh, that was really like the most exciting aspect of it was being in a conference with ECU. Cause you know, that was kind of the program that UCF wanted to be like. And, and there was a great fan base in Greenville and always a great back and forth with the fans on the internet. Even before 
before there was what you know social media is the word we use now but before that i mean the social media was message boards and it was always a great message board rivalry with the east carolina through the years so yeah it's the last game that we know of you know same conference so um uc is moving on next year to the big 12 so i'm kind of sad this is the one of the games that i'm i'm sad to see go i appreciate yeah, it ecu's uh... <laughs> I was gonna say issues definitely no slouch in the uh, in, in the message board smack talk uh, category, so we definitely yeah. can, can keep up with it. It happened. Though. I mean, it happened. It, I was a guy who asked the question. We had a press conference with Gus Malzahn on Monday, and you know he doesn't show a lot of personality. Um, he, he was very straightforward talking about football. You know, he doesn't really you know, say too much or, you know, he doesn't, he sticks, he sticks to the script. And so I knew the press mm-hmm. conference was winding down. And so I'm like, Hey coach, you ever been to Greenville? Uh, you know, I know he coached at Tulsa as an offensive coordinator uh, for a couple years, but I, I, I didn't know. I couldn't remember if they ever played at ECU. It turns out there was a conference championship game, but I think that was in Tulsa. One of those years he was there, but now he's like, nah, maybe, maybe he recruited in Greenville, but now I say, hey, you know much about their barbecue? They put a little vinegar in their barbecue because that's always what people talk about when you go to Greenville, get that little vinegar barbecue. And he was like, no, I didn't know that. And I'm not a big barbecue guy or, you know, whatever it was. He said it wasn't like that big of a deal. I was just trying to see if he'd say something funny or interesting right. or, you know, who's not a barbecue guy? Everyone's come on. Who's not a barbecue guy? I couldn't believe he said that, but. I guess all the ECU people saw it, and I know they were. Someone in the media asked Mike Houston on Tuesday about it, and uh, trying to get him get him a plate of Parker's. It seems like that's maybe what they're going to try to do on Saturday. That that are that are bees. Yeah, we we definitely took it as slander and insults, not not knowing about uh, Eastern North Carolina barbecue. Yeah, I I I'm thinking about about this game, and it's it's one of those things that. This game has so much history. I mean, I mean, the teams have played each other about twenty times, I believe it is, um, o- over the course of the last thirty years, and it's one of those games that I mean, whether U- UCF was up or down or ECU was up or down, this seemed like a game that could go either way at almost any given year, except for a handful. This this seems like a, a rivalry that should keep going what what do you think do you think that danny white and uh john gilbert should get together and and schedule this game further on down the road well danny white's moved on he's at he's at tennessee now and he oh was, yeah, uh, he, yeah was, he, he was is. crowdsourcing for the uh goal post that was torn down over I, I, the weekend when they beat alabama him and hypel wow yeah t- yeah, it's, yeah both guys left i mean that was kind of the interesting thing at the uh and john gilbert's of- a tennessee guy Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, after the 2020 season, you know, Tennessee, they hired Danny White to be their AD. And, you know, um, I, I think he struck, I, I'm not sure who he, he went after. Cause then he had to hire a, a new football coach right away. And, you know, it seemed like he must've been striking out on whoever he was going after. So he just, he just pulled up Josh Heupel, who he had hired a couple years before at UCF. And a lot of people panned that move. And I think UCF fans though, I think Hypo had kind of reached the peak, you know, at UCF. He wasn't a very good recruiter. Uh, his offense, while it was exciting to, you know, go up and down the field and score a bunch of points, I think there was a game that season at Memphis where whatever the final score was, 50 to 49, whatever it was, UCF had like 800 yards of total offense and lost. <laughs> so there was no no defense anywhere to be played. 
And uh, I, I sort of think that, you know, it had kind of uh, hit a lull that COVID year recruiting. Uh, that was not a good situation uh, for them. Like, you know, recruiting over Zoom wasn't really his strong spot when people couldn't visit campus. And, you know, the, the, the defensive coaches didn't really see eye to eye with him. So I think that was that was for the best. But in terms of playing this game, you know, I was kind of thinking about, you know, what is the one game in the AAC that I'm I'm – you know, most sad to see go. It's it's definitely this one. I mean, you know, maybe you can make the argument. Yeah, you, you go to, you know, New Orleans. You know, for you know that experience. But you're not talking about the Tulane. It's not the Tulane football game you're missing. You're missing New Orleans. You could go to you see. It's either be East Carolina or Memphis because UCS played a lot of great games with Memphis. But just in terms of the atmosphere, you know, the stadium, the fan base, the town. It's it's a, like our true college town. Really the might be the only like really true college town in the American where the whole, at least, you know, what I mean by that, the whole community just kind of revolves around ECU and it's, it's fun to be a part of that. You, you know, you turn on the radio and, and all they're talking about is ECU. They're not talking about, you know, the NFL or, or whatever, you know, so yeah. that's always cool. And, and you mentioned this series, like this was before our time, but every time I I'd come up to ECU and I always, turn on the sports radio. They're even talking about, there's like, there was like a game in 1993, like UCF was uh, a one double a school and FCS school at the time. And, and uh, there was a quarterback sack and I guess UCF broke the, the ECU's quarterback's leg. Okay. <laughs> and I know old time ECU fans will still bring that up. Like, you know, it was a dirty play and they've hated UCF ever since that game. So, I mean, there's been a lot of, a lot of fun games in this series and, you know, I don't know if it makes sense or not. I mean, UCF's had trouble scheduling games. I mean, I think that's been well documented. You know, Danny White was the one who kind of was, you know, talking about only wanting to play home and homes, didn't want to do a two for one with anyone, wanted to play Florida at home and home. And so I know they need some games, you know, later on this decade. I don't know if it'll work out or not, but I, I would love to, to get another series down the road going on with ECU. Yeah, no. for sure. I mean, I, I, I could see us giving you a, a – I don't know if we would schedule a two two for one with y'all, but I, no, I could, no, I, I would not. <laughs> I, I could definitely tr see us tr like trying to strike up a home and home series. Yeah, yeah, I didn't mean like that. I'm just saying. Like, oh yeah, uh, I, yeah. I'm I know, talking with Danny White was talking about he wanted to do a home and home with Florida, and Florida's like, well, we don't, we'd only do a two for one with you, you know. Just yeah. But they got a lot. UCF's got a lot of holes in these schedules coming up, and you know, who knows, who knows? But this is really the one of the series, one of the games I'm I'm sad to see go. No. Now, Brandon, you know, speaking of this UCF program, you know, you guys lose Heifel, but you got a pretty good one in Gus Malzahn, you know, coming over from Auburn. How would you assess, you know, his job and his, his early tenure at, at UCF, and how do you think it's going to translate going forward into the Big 12? Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, when, when like I said, I just talked a minute ago, when Heifel left, I think it was late January, early February 2021, and I knew that was a name, it was, it was the thing where, you know, UCF had to hire an athletic director first, you know, it was, it wasn't going to be a quick process. It was, you talk about coaching carousel and usually those changes are made in December, but that was, that was a late one. They hired uh, the AD, they hired as Terry Mahajer who came over from Arkansas state and had actually worked with Gus. Um, Cause remember Gus was the head coach. Well, his, you know, to go back even further than that, Gus has his ties to Arkansas high school football. He was writing books and setting records uh, with the spread offense, all that stuff he was doing it. I think it's Shiloh Christian High School in Springdale, Arkansas, in the late '90s, early 2000s. He eventually gets into college. I think he goes to Arkansas for a year, then he goes to Tulsa 
as an offensive coordinator, and that was kind of around the time. I think ECU and Tulsa during that time period might have played in a Conference USA championship game. So he was there, and then he moves over to Auburn as offensive coordinator. Uh, Gene Chizik was the head coach then, but it's when they had Cam Newton. They won a national championship, and he eventually gets a head coaching job at Arkansas State for one season, and then they forced, uh, and then Auburn forced out Chizik. Then they just, you know, bring in Gus. So that's how Gus got the Auburn job. But yeah, you know, everyone who kind of followed college football, he was always very consistent. I don't think he ever had a losing season. He was one of the only. I know it was a rivalry game. Anything could happen, but he was one of the only coaches that could ever beat, you know, Nick Saban at Alabama. And you know, that's the most toxic you know, culture, maybe in college football, it, it, as far as Auburn, that whole dynamic with the boosters wanting mm -hmm. to run everything. And just, it was just a bad situation. And he was forced out after last year. And uh, like, you know, I, I mean, after the, the 2020 year and, and we see what's going on in Auburn, they're going to fire Brian Harson at some point, it seems like this season. Yeah. So, but yeah, when they, when they hired Terry Mahajer, who, who had worked with Gus and that kind of seemed like, it seemed like that was going to be the guy. I, I think at, at that time it was kind of discuss, is he interested? Does he want to get, does he want to take a job right away? Does he want to be, want to take a year off? You know, that much we didn't know. But, you know, he was full, he was fully in, you know, he was excited to come down to Florida. And I think the biggest thing that I think is, is the reason he's had success and is going to continue to have success is he understands recruiting. Uh, hypo, I don't think really did, or at least understands recruiting, even though you could say recruiting is universal, whether you're in the SEC or the AAC or whatever. It was just, he just understands everything from the personality to the production to the visits, to the, you know, visiting high schools, to visiting Friday night games that I think some of these coaches, they get so locked in like Heupel. He's so locked into his offense and being a football coach. He doesn't, I, I think he didn't quite understand that. Yeah. If it's a Friday night, yeah, maybe, maybe you got a game or something, or yeah, you're always working on something. You need to make an appearance at the local high school game. You got to you got to make sure to turn on the charm to the parents, you know, when they, when you visit and all that stuff. And, and he's, he's a great recruiter. He hired a staff that understands how to recruit and, you know, and obviously recruiting is a little bit different now than it was a few years ago. You got to recruit high schools, you got to recruit transfer portal and all that stuff, but he's done a really good job in both aspects. You know, UCF's going to, you know, probably have their highest rated recruiting classes under Gus. They're, you know, this, you know, this summer they've been getting, you know, a myriad of four star players from the local area. They've been emphasizing, they call it hometown hero. They, that's what they called their, their campaign to kind of get the best guys in the Orlando area to stay home. And I mean, I've never seen anything like it. I've been covering UCF for over 20 years, a lot of the recruiting and, you know, UCF was never really a player for the, the top, top guys. Cause you know, you know, a lot of guys just, you know, they want to get away from home sometimes, you know, they want to move out of Orlando. They grew up here, but he's done a really good job. Like there was, there's a kid from Kissimmee Osceola defensive tackle, John Walker. He committed to UCF. I mean, he had legit bona fide committable offers to Ohio state, Florida, Miami, Michigan, you know, and he committed use. And now they've got to hold on to him. And all the schools haven't given right. up recruiting it, but they've got a lot of guys, a lot of great offers, a lot of high ranks. So that's been, I think where he's seen the most success and, and that's translated, you know, last year there, it was an injury riddled season. Um, starting quarterback, Dylan Gabriel goes down early, kind of just, and he's kind of mailed it in the rest of the year. He, maybe he could have come back towards the end. At that point, he thought he was too big time for UC, whatever he thought he transferred out. He's at Oklahoma now, but you know, there was a lot of injury issues. They, they still salvaged and had a pretty good year. 
uh, we were able to beat Florida in the Gasparilla Bowl, which is you know goes down as one of the biggest wins I guess in UCF history. So that was a great moment to have, and you're off to a pretty pretty good start this year. You know, it really you know a lot of you know probably should be undefeated. They did lose a game when the offense uh, the offense has kind of sort of been slow to get going this year, but uh, definitely had a, a down that- performance against Louisville. I was about to say he says as they just dropped seventy on a team last week. Early, I just say early. I mean, there's a huge difference. You can say the offense. Okay, then the the SMU game the week before. If you go for the first half, you know of, of SMU prior to that, offense was kind of it was based on on competition. You're going to play an FCS team, you know, begin the season. South Carolina State they blew them out, but I mean that's an FCS. They go down to FAU. FAU's defense is probably FCF's level, if we're being honest. They had a great performance, but you know when they when they were playing defenses with the Pulse, being Louisville and Georgia Tech, even though Georgia Tech was a win, you know they were struggling a little bit. But it, I don't, I don't know. It seems like the offense they they figured it out though. I I say that, but it seems like they have figured it out in the past couple of games. And I mean that was probably you just alluded to, the seventy point performance against Temple. That was probably the most dominating offensive performance I've I've ever seen because usually when you score have a crazy number you've got a pick six you've got a punt return kicker you've got other crazy scores mm-hmm. every one of these was an offensive touchdown that's insane I mean that, that it just is that the thing is though looking at UCF schedule I mean it, what would you say up up to this point has been the the toughest matchup would it be that SMU game or just the Louisville game. Uh, well, well, Louis, Louisville was the one, and 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 Louisville, you know, I, I the jury still cut out of them. I mean, they're 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 not bad. They're they're decent. I know they're a lot of their fans kind of maybe thought their coach was on the hot seat, Scott Satterfield, but they got a pretty good quarterback, Malik Cunningham. It was just that that the Louisville defense made it difficult for you know UCF's quarterback is John Rice Plumley. He's an Ole Miss transfer. Um, if you go back and and part of his claim to fame, I guess, I think he was a freshman in 2019. He ran for like 200 plus yards on LSU. That was, it was a loss. Okay. But that was the LSU team that Joe Burrow and, and uh, they ended up winning the national championship, that LSU team, but he had a, a great individual performance. He's, he's a dual threat and, you know, really was really more renowned for his running than his passing. And, and, um, and the passing element was the one that's, kind of been slower to de- to develop and and uh you know Louisville made it difficult to him they were going to force him to throw and and he was having trouble you know seeing the field and and knowing where to dump the ball off to and and so they kind of you know took away his running ability in that game and for it but you know other defenses have done that the last couple of games and, and they figured and it seems like he's figured it out whether it's play calling they said they they said they simplified things I, I'm not sure in football terms what exactly they're not tell exactly what they, they said they've <laughs> simplified whatever they've done to simplify it has really what we've seen is this offensive explosion here the past couple of weeks yeah no yeah, you know Brandon go ahead Artie no, I was, I was, I was switching gears a little bit. You know, talking about these, these two fan bases. You know, as people who cover the Pirates, Pirate football fanatics. You know, we obviously think we have the best fan base in the conference, but UCF would, would, would beg a differ on that. Tell us why UCF thinks that they have the best fan base in the conference, and and what makes the bounce house so special to someone from the outside looking in. Well, yeah, you, you talk about the bounce house, um, and and that's and that's 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 really it. you talk about you know what has been the biggest transformational aspect in terms of UCF football history, the trajectory of the program and everything. It's, 
it is the bounce house, but specifically it's it's going from playing in the Citrus Bowl. That's where UCF traditionally they started the program in 1979. The Citrus Bowl is you know it's an old stadium right outside of downtown. It's not on campus. It's like 13 miles away. They played in that facility, I guess, through the 2006 season. So, you know, it's 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 like you know USF playing in Raymond James Stadium where the Bucks played. So I guess it's kind of like Pitt plays in you know whatever they call that stadium now. They, it's no longer Heinz Field, but you know it's 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 hard to get tradition and, and build up students fan base. But but when they went on campus in 2007, and you know you can tailgate, you know, on campus, you know, the student body can walk, you know, a block from their dorm to the football stadium. That's been the biggest difference. And, and that's what's kind of led to, you know, really the, the fan base just exploding inside. Like there's guys I know who were students, you know, during that era, 07, 08, 09, 10. And, you know, now they're, you know, they come back, you know, they have families and, and wives and kids and stuff. And, you know, people that probably admitted that, you know, they may not have been as felt as connected as a fan if they didn't have the on-campus stadium. But that's been the best thing that's ever happened to mm-hmm. UCF football. The stadium is not, it's not a Taj Mahal. I mean, it's it's a very basic stadium. It's a steel, str- I don't know if you guys have ever been. It's not the fanciest stadium in the world, um, but it's on campus. You can call it home. It's definitely preferable to the previous situation. But that's, that's really what kind of, you know, has helped propel UCF. But in terms of the fan base, you know, that stadium's got a reputation. They call it the bounce house because it's steel. And, and I think for the first season, maybe they didn't realize it, but um, they, they play zombie nation. Well, every, every, every stadium plays zombie nation, but I guess whatever it was organic, they play zombie nation. Everyone starts jumping up and down. And so, you know, the students and thousands of people jumping up and down in rhythm, I mean, the stadium structure, it was bending and swaying, and, and it was kind of scary, honestly. I remember this was before we really had, you know, video cameras and phones, because this was like 2007 season. That kind of predated, maybe you could take a you know really crappy photo with your phone. Right. I don't know if you could take video back then. Probably not. But I remember seeing there was like, a, when you go into the locker room, you know, there was like a beam, like a support beam above the student section, and it was bending and flat. I mean, I was like, almost like, God, is this is safe? Is that what's going on here? But that's how the whole bounce house moniker came about, and uh, they've reinforced the the stadium since then. When they realized the impact jumping can have, but but it's really led to uh, a great atmosphere. Um, the best one I can remember is, I think, twenty eighteen. UCF was on their undefeated, you know, they had been perfect the year before and they were still running the table that at that point in 2018. And they had uh, hosted Cincinnati and they had ESPN college game day come to town and they were playing like the eight o'clock ABC game that night. And that was just probably the most unreal atmosphere. And I think Desmond Ritter, I think they had a couple, you know, um, you know, delay of games to start their offensive drive just because they couldn't hear. I mean, that's really, but I mean, honestly, both fan bases are great. I'm not. I'm. I'm not going to sit here and say UCS is better than ECU, because uh, ECU's got a great tradition. They've got fans all over the Eastern Seaboard. Uh, they've been passionate about their Pirates for a long time, and I just have the. I have the utmost respect for for ECU because I've been to Greenville a bunch. I've been to a lot of these games. It, it kind of you know maybe there's been a rivalry amongst fan bases, but you know it kind of it saddens me that you know the downturn that ECU kind of had from maybe that 2015 to you know the Scotty Montgomery era that kind of took the wind out of the sails a little bit. So I personally I'm I'm excited for ECU. It looks like Mike Houston is turning everything around. 
you know, last year kind of getting to a bowl game and, and in just a couple of plays away from being six and one this year. So I'm actually excited for ECU. You know, I'd love to see them kind of, you know, run the American kind of be the flag. I feel like they are the kind of be the flagship school, especially with, you know, they feel like you had a group and I felt like ECU was right there with them. I mean, when you talk about Cincinnati and UCF, it kind of been the top teams, but you know, when you look tra- traditionally with, with how good these, you know, Houston and ECU and Memphis and all these schools should should be up in the upper tier. But I'm actually excited to see hopefully ECU kind of be the torchbearer of the AAC going forward. Yeah, I, I think you that, and us both. <laughs> I, I think that once these the three schools that are leaving leave, I think that it, it's really it's going to just say okay, the torch is being passed to East Carolina, Memphis, and probably SMU. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. the, those are the three that seem most reasonable to, to kind of take over. Now we'll, it, we'll see what happens with USF. We'll see what happens. SM, you know, SMU, they're doing this thing that way they call it the Boulevard Collective. You know, we were talking about NIL when you came on my, my show podcast, but they're like, they're promising. I'm not even sure if that's, I guess it's legal. I don't know. They're, they're, have you heard about guys heard about that? They're promising to pay every player on the team. And I think the basketball team too, like 30,000 a year. I don't know. I just, wow. We'll they're just what doing what they that. they're just doing what, That's they what they've the always 80s. done yeah i was about to say back in the day <laughs> now it's legal so yeah i mean it, it's exciting now the question i have for you you asked you asked earlier about uh what i thought about like the the conference and where we the conference was heading with the new additions and and the subtractions but i want to know from from you it, it it's something that i find is interesting because UCF goes on that, I mean, historic run, undefeated, should have made the college football playoff. We we all agree on on UCF should have been in the college football playoff that year. Um, they're not. They said, hey, go undefeated again, and then they did, and then they were like, you know what, still not good enough, whatever. Um, now, with the expansion of college football playoff and going to 12 teams, the top six conference champions get in, now that UCF is gone, going to a Power Five conference, I mean, what 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 are UCF fans' thoughts on that? Now that there is a kind of a door to, to yeah. the college football playoff, I, and that it, it, you kind of bring that up because I think it was it was a year ago. It was like last summer. It was like summer of twenty one, like a year ago. That I think I forgot what it was. June, July, whenever it was that were it kind of came out of nowhere, like they always talked about expanding the college football playoff and, and maybe it was, yeah, it was probably a couple weeks before Texas and Oklahoma, before that leaked out, we didn't know any of that stuff was going on. And so they came out with college football playoff. I mean, now it's huge. I mean, that's, that's all, you know, UCF or anyone in the American ever wanted was, you know, an opportunity. Cause you're not, you're not going to get it. I mean, somehow I don't, I still don't know how Cincinnati got in. I mean, I guess there was a lot of, a lot of things happened, but that was, that wasn't typical. I, I, you know, I, I look back on, on the Cincinnati thing. I look back to Mike Oresco's media day press conference when he'd said, he basically said, now that one of our programs is leaving for a power five division or power five group, they're, they're now good enough because they're going to the power five. <laughs> And I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. They're they're trying to say, oh well, now that they've played like a power five team, they're going to the power five, but they're not technically a power five. Yeah, 
Well, you know, but, but I mean, the the playoff news, though, I mean, it's still, I guess, even for a little while, they thought, you know, they thought it was going to be on hold. But I guess now they're working. I guess they think they're having some meetings on Thursday or later this week to try to maybe start the process to potentially do it by 2024, which would be huge. And I guess it would still be the plan was top six conference champions, which is great because you get away from this whole power five G five, which I've always I mean, I don't think anyone hated it more than Mike Oresco. <laughs> With the, the whole power of six deal with him. But I mean, that's, that's great news for, for anyone in the AAC. Cause I, you know, honestly, you know, the AAC, in my opinion, has probably been the number five conference. A lot of these years, I'd say they're better than the PAC 12. Um, you know, especially some of these years last year, you know, 2020 PAC 12 didn't even really play. <laughs> so I don't really think the AAC has been a better conference than the PAC 12 some of these years. So yeah, I just, and then the, that was just a crazy summer, you know, a year ago. And then all of a sudden you see the Texas, Oklahoma, and then we saw, you know, the expansion that the big 12 and obviously BYU was the other one that got the call. But I, I UCF fans, you know, they're, you know, everyone's excited about it just cause you know, the, the one thing that I'll miss the the things that I value the most about playing ECU is the fact that it's a great atmosphere and they have fans that care. I mean, that, that's, that's what it boils down to why I like ECU. Cause when you look around the American, that doesn't really apply to most of the other schools. You go to temple, you go to Tulsa, you go to Tulane, you know, a lot of these places, you know, there's hardly anyone in the stands. You come to the city. I'm here for the foot. They don't even, they don't even know that, you know, the local school is playing a football game that weekend. You can't go to Greenville and say the same. So, so, but that's, that's what I think I'm looking forward to the most. And what fans are when you go to the big 12 is that there's basically a whole group of East Carolinas, you know, that's, that's one way to put this, you know, just the, every, every school has fans and fans that care and, and great atmospheres. And that's, you know, I know, I guess there'll be, you know, there'll be more money, I guess, for an athletic department standpoint in terms of, of you know, conference revenue and all that stuff. And, and that'll kind of help UCF take another step. But but that's that's, you know, for where UCF is going. I know that's what I think a lot of people are really excited about. For sure. Now, I want, I want to talk about this game a little bit. Um, last year, UCF comes back, beats East Carolina in the final minutes of the game. It was a tough game at UCF in the bounce house. What what do you think? Does, does any of that play a factor in, in going into this year? Well, I mean, I think it plays a factor for East. I mean, if ECU doesn't need it, I mean, they don't need any more motivation. I mean, UCF's won six games in a row in this series. Uh, UCF, I mean, I, I thought you were about to go, you were, you were talking about UCF's run. I almost thought you were going down a different track. I thought you were going to say, you know, what if ECU, what if, what if ECU had replicated UCF's success in 17 and 18? What if it was ECU was the one that went 25 and 0 and, you know, had a perfect season and went to the Peach Bowl? You know, could they, would they be the ones I joining the Big 12 right it. now and, yeah. and not UCF? They, they would, they would have still said something about our, our, TV market or something yeah. like that. Exactly. I mean, may, may, yep. may, may, maybe not, but I mean, if, if there was, I mean, I would hate UCF if I'm an ECF, I mean, and they probably do, but I would hate UCF because, you know, they're the team that, you know, you, you go back to that 2014 game, which we, we kind of have talked about a little bit that, you know, 
last second, it was uh, UCF threw a bomb to Brashad Perryman. He's still he's still playing in the NFL, but you know, found him, walked into the end zone. I mean, there was a, no way ECU could have lost. They were like, there was no way they had the ball. It was like was it like victory formation for Shane Carden? And actually, I was just watching that right, right before I was going to jump on with you guys. I was watching on YouTube the highlights of that game, but you know, from that game onward, I mean, I would just hate UCF. I mean. You know, you used to have Georgia. Everyone always hated Georgia Leary. He was the head coach back then. And and then they come in and, you know, UCF fans were probably arrogant anyway. And then they got super arrogant during the whole frost and hypo run going undefeated, being real smug. And, you know, now they're, you know, hot shot going to the Big 12 and kind of leaving yeah, ECU. But the, I'd be fired up. I mean, I, the, Mike Houston hadn't been around, but I, I would want nothing more if I was an ECU fan to just kick the snot out of UCF in this last game. I mean, these last <laughs> – these next four weeks, I mean, we play all four teams joining the Big 12. I mean, these exactly. next four games. Exactly, yep. UCF, Cincinnati, BYU, Houston over the next four weeks. Four of our last five games are against the teams joining the Big 12. And, I mean, honestly, like, ECU has to win one of them. They they have to. No, I'd say they're all must-win games. I mean, we they're sitting at four and no. three. They're all must-win games. But I mean, you, to get to six, to get to the six wins, you have to win one of them, at least. Yes. And it, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, which one is it going to be? Selfishly, yeah, I, I would love to kick the shit out of UCF. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I, do I see think that's the most winnable game of the four? No, I I don't. Um, I, I think it has to do with uh, Dana Hol- Dana Holgerson's team down in Houston that might be the most winnable game out of the four. But, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where I, I remember back when – what year was it? Was it 2013 that UCF didn't win a game all year or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it was, it was 15. It was 0-12 yeah. year and 15, and that led to O'Leary finally having to step away, and that kind and of ultimately led to Frost. The the fact that, like, we went 5-7 and seven that year. We fired our coach – and then we just went down a terrible route of being mediocre three and nine for three years. And then we finally bring in Mike Houston. The fact that UCF was able to figure it out and turn it around so quickly to become what they have become. That's what pisses me off. That's what pisses me off as an ECU fan, because I'm like, we could have done the same thing. We could have done something very similar, but we, we tried to piecemeal it together and we tried to put some duct tape on, on whatever the situation was. And the situation was terrible recruiting. And we we weren't able to we weren't able to come back. That that's what pisses me off about UCF. The fact that we were so close, we had done so well. We have one bad year. We fire our coach after a not really not so bad year. And then y'all are what, 0 and 12. 11 and one and you know, 11. It's not, it's sometimes it's not, it's not as, you know, when you look at athletic directors and I know we were talking about the decision to hire Scotty Montgomery, he was the offensive coordinator at Duke, but he, that was just a, a figurehead title because David Cutcliffe mm-hmm. truly ran that offense. But sometimes I, I don't know, sometimes that, you know, people want to rag on fans, but I, I feel like fans sometimes are smarter than ADs when they hire these coaches. I don't know. Cause anyone could have told you that. I mean, so there's a lot of luck involved. Okay. Right? We, Everyone lauds Danny White was the athletic director at UCF. He's the guy who hired Scott Frost. Oh, what a genius move to to hire him. But honestly, if Danny White had his first choice, we talk about that 2015 season, he offered the job to Greg Schiano. And you know, maybe that would have been a good hire. I don't know. 
But Greg Schiano, that's around the time that Mark Richt was stepping away from Miami, and Greg Schiano all of a sudden thought he could be in the mix for a Miami job. So he slow played the UCF offer. And then Danny White pulled it and then offered it to his backup candidate, Scott Frost. So Scott Frost wasn't really the first choice. So I don't know. You know these coaching decisions, it's like you can never – you know, and then everyone thought Scott Frost was going to, you know, bring glory back to Nebraska. And that obviously didn't happen. So I, I, I had know that's my sleeper team this year. <laughs> you never know. Honestly, you never know. Maybe Scotty Montgomery. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he didn't run the, maybe he would have been the great, he wasn't, but I don't know. It, it's hard to, it's hard to predict these things. And sometimes the ADs are the ones who honestly should be more on the hot seat for making these decisions. And then, you know, then when they have to give these people a huge buyout, it's a joke. Yeah. It, it's, that's the thing is like, we talk so much about firing Ruff and hiring Scotty Montgomery. It all goes back to the administration around ECU. Cecil Staten and and Jeff Comfer, they can walk the damn plank 10 days a week. I don't care. Like they, They're dead to me. They're dead to a lot of ECU fans. Nobody likes them. And they're, who, they're the people that set our program back 20 years. Are you, I'll interject here real quick. You said walk the plank. That's I love ECU in terms of like the pregame atmosphere and the whole, maybe it's a little cheesy, but that's okay. Cause it works. You know what I mean? Like with the video board, like the pirate ship. And then that, that dude that dresses up like the pirate. And then they have the inflate. They still have like the inflatable, like skull, right? They still got yep, that, right? Yep. I, I mean, I, it's great. I love it. Okay. It's great. The theme is awesome. I, I just I love I, I that's one reason I love coming to games at ECU just because the whole atmosphere and then the, the no quarter you know beginning of the fourth quarter with the flag that's really cool and yeah I love all the cute cool little pirate themed stuff I think it's a lot of fun I actually saw I, pirate I, I, Steve walking through the press box the other day in full garb like at like it was like at halftime just walking through the press box like eating a hot dog I was like <laughs> this is what he wears all the time right yeah, yeah I was like this okay. is outfit what were you gonna say Artie no, I, I I will say I'm not a fan of the inflatable pirate. I, I kind of want to do something a little different than that. I I think that's a little too cheesy. That's a little too high school for me. You know, I I, I think a, a D1 program should maybe do a little bit something different. But you know, everything else I'm 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 here for. What what we need to do is we need to just take the well, next time we play at USF. I know we just played there a couple of weeks ago. We just need to take their pirate ship out of out of their end zone <laughs> and, and bring it home. <laughs> Back. Sell that thing back up. The, yeah, you, the you see, fans as you know don't like USF. That, that's that's always a, a, a running joke amongst UCF fans: the pirate ship in the end zone because it doesn't fit at all. And you got those red colored seats; and they're empty these days, and it's just a sad atmosphere. Uh, that that's really contrary. I mean, that almost might be the saddest atmosphere that or, or, or Temple. Um, oh, I don't know. T- I, I have a, up there. Yeah, I don't think I a, anything beats Temple. I have a <laughs> feeling Black. I think we play Black Friday at Temple. I have a feeling there might be three people in the stands. Uh, yeah, you'd be lucky to get a hundred. Like <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be hard to watch. I one um, thing I, this is, I'll give Temple credit for this, but this doesn't really paint them in a flattering light. It is the easiest game I have ever been to in terms of, okay, I, I guess I have media credentials to give me a parking pass. I'm literally parking like right outside, like right against the entrance. And I'm like, I'll walk into the stadium like in 30 seconds. And it's like the easiest game. There's like, there's no traffic. You don't have to worry about anything. There's no one there. You literally just go in and out. It's like going to a football practice. As, as long as you got your bulletproof vest on, you're good. Yeah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, that's, that's, that's Memphis, maybe. That's more Memphis, maybe, than South Philly. But that, yeah. those, those are two stadiums we haven't been to. We, we talked about going to Philly this year, but uh, with it being 
the week of Thanksgiving. It, it's kind of hard, but um, tell me, all right. So UCF, what what are they what are they going to do to beat ECU this week? Well, I, I think everyone's talking about the offense just in terms of I, well, obviously scoring seventy points and seven hundred thirty seven yards of offense last week against Temple. Uh, that's going to be the what everyone talks about. But the the story of the season has been the defense and just how consistent they've been. You know, solid every single game. They've I think the most amount of points they've given up all year has been twenty points the entire season, and that was in the loss to Louisville. Uh, I know East Carolina has a pretty good red, uh, red zone defense. You know, it's great. I think they're what number fifteen or sixteen. UCF is number one in in red zone defense. I don't know right in front of me, but I think they're, you know, number five or six in you know, scoring defense. And so uh, Travis Williams, uh, they call him T-Will. He's uh, he was a former Auburn guy, coached with Gus at Auburn, a young guy. This is his first time being a defensive coordinator these past couple of seasons. And I mean, he's really got the guys buying in and, and it, it seems like it's, you can almost script how every game is gone. Um, you know, the other team will, you know, everyone always wants to do something different, kind of catch the other opposing defense off guard, mix up what you're going to do. So it seems like the other, the opponents always kind of opening drive will always seem like they march down the field and score. But after that, or at least after the first quarter, I mean, UCF has pretty much been lights out and shut guys down. So that, I mean, that's just a, that's a fascinating matchup too, because you've got an experienced offense with ECU. You've got Holt Naylor's his 10th year is, is starting quarterback as ECU. And you know, he's, he's been through these games a bunch of times and, uh, you know, got a great running back, Keaton Mitchell, um, you know, slippery guy. Like, if, you know, I, I guess, you know, I remember seeing him last year and, you know, he's, he's a great running back. You know, you guys got a you know, great receiver. Um, so I'll be interested to see if, if, if UCF's consistency on defense can continue because it, it'll be, it'll be a tough task, you know, corralling those guys. But I mean, the, beyond that, you know, is, has UCF's offense really turned the corner? I mean, I don't, I don't think they're going to score 70 points again, but, but does that performance for, foretell that, you know, they finally figured it out. I mean, right now it's trending. Yes. Cause the second half of the SMU was played out in a similar fashion that can they continue to, you know, rack up uh, these points. The thing that, that John Rice has that the other thing, he hasn't turned the ball over and, you know, could he, if he gets into, you know, situations where he's, he's turning the ball over, you know, he's pretty much played, you know, smart football. Um, but, you know, use has got a great running game. Um, they've got multiple running backs uh, who are very talented. You know, John Rice is you know running. He's probably one of the fastest guys. I think he leads the team, team in rushing. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the fastest guys. I mean, you, you know, you wouldn't think your quarterback is, but yeah, he's he's probably faster than anyone else on the on the offense anyway. And so he's obviously a running threat. Um, you know, re- receiver. You know, Ryan O'Keefe is kind of the electric uh, playmaker on that side of the ball. Um, defense has been solid. So yeah, I think we're. I think everyone just and also just curious to see how UCF plays in a true road game. I mean, pretty much you know every game has been at home uh, to this point, other than a road game at FAU. You have guess future future AAC rival for ECU, Florida Atlantic, but uh, you know that's about three hours away from Orlando. It was probably about half and half in terms of UCF fans. I mean, UCF fans probably could have taken over the state. I think UCF fans might have taken over a little bit more in 2019, but yeah, it was mostly UCF fans, and they don't their students maybe come out for like the first half, and then they all go home, and then maybe there's like a few other thousand fans, FAU fans left. But it was it was a friendly environment. It wasn't like a true 
road environment, which they're going to get this Saturday. So, I mean, that's, that's the thing. This it's been, every game has been played in a friendly environment and, and how is that offense going to respond when, you know, pirate nations, you know, get loud on third down or something. I, cause they've never been through that yet. Yeah. I, I think that's interesting. Cause I, I think well, Artie and I were talking about that earlier this week. We were talking, I mean, it feels like they had the toughest competition has been a three and three Louisville and they, they haven't played a true road game. So it's going to be interesting for sure to see how this UCF team uh, stands up against. Kind yeah, of a, we're just kind of wondering how, how good is this team? I know, you know your record looks good. You know, the offense looks great, but you got to factor in the competition, you know, Temple, we thought maybe Temple was a little bit better than what they showed, but their competition hadn't been that great either. They, their defense was ranked pretty good, but they really hadn't played anybody. So this is really the first, I guess the SMU game was a little bit too. Like, you know, the SMU was pretty good coming into that game. But this is the first test against what we feel like is a pretty decent team, and you got to do it on the road. Yeah, you know, we, we hope, you know, certainly hope this is a close game. You know, hope it's an ECU victory. Uh, does UCF have any kickers or punters we can, uh, or holders we can borrow for the week, though? <laughs> that's yeah, that's yeah, my question. I mean, if, like, if this comes out to a kick, well, that that's that's kind of the storyline in a lot of places is is kickers because uh, you know I was watching that game against NC State, so I I, I know what you guys are going through, <laughs> and I, I laughed. I laughed. There's hilarious. There was on that TV broadcast. Uh, he like missed the kick, and they kept on showing this. Like I guess she was an ECU student, they were attractive young lady, and there was a tweet. I don't know if you guys seen this. It said ECU's kicker will not be getting her number. I don't know if Mar- Barstool or someone tweeted that. It was hilarious. But anyway, for sure it wasn't hilarious to you guys. But but UCF was gone through a similar kicking situation. They they've had a guy, his name is Daniel Barsky. He's been here a few years. He's been very inconsistent. He's missing kicks early in the season. They made the move a couple games in to a true freshman, and he's been doing great. I mean, he's been kick- he's been hitting everything. And, uh, and so that's kind of changed the outlook because that Louisville game, there's a lot of things that happened. There was two touchdowns that were called back due to penalties. There was a, a, a chip shot field goal that was missed. A lot of things, you know, take that, take those penalties away. You, you make your kicks. UCF probably wins that game. But they, they made a, a switch at, at, at kicker, and they made a switch at punter too um, when they had some, some punting issues early on. So I, it seems like that's going on a lot of places, that kicking inconsistency seems like a thing this year. Yeah, I don't know. it. It seems like I mean ECU made the change last week, and it's then of course after you make the change, he, he's pretty good. And then of course your holder bluffs a snap and drops it on a, on an extra point. And it's like okay, we can't win for losing. But um, who who's a guy on ECU that you think Gus Malzahn needs to needs to tell his team, hey, this guy cannot beat us? I'd say Keaton Mitchell, just because he's he seems like. He seems like the guy that, you know, you, well, it's like everything else. You want to win the game, you got to stop the run. And uh, you got to do whatever it takes to kind of keep him from getting loose and having those, you know, home run home run type plays and everything. Uh, Hold Nailers, I, I'm kind of curious to see how how he pro- – I know I, I'm not the – I'm not the – expert on whole nailers like you guys probably are but it seems like he kind of has them up and down games you know he kind of plays up and plays really well and maybe he'll get flustered and frustrated and kind of have some turnover game i don't know it seems like he plays up and down they just they just kind of sort of for ucs perspective they gotta they gotta hope he has one of those down games because i don't know if if consistency he's not bad i'm not saying he's a bad quarterback but it seems like it's always sort of he could be maybe better at times and and consistency's been a thing is is that accurate career in a nutshell 
Yeah, the la- I mean, last week our the title of our podcast was Jekyll and Hyde because he's he's so Jekyll and Hyde. I, I said it last week. He's a guy that has the highest ceiling when he's good, but the lowest floor when he's bad, and it that that's unfortunate to see in a fifth year quarterback that's hoping to get some looks uh, for NFL teams. I, I don't I don't really necessarily see that happening. Um, uh, he he might get a look. But I don't I don't see him making a, a roster come next fall. Um but yeah, he he he's so up and down. And he you look at it, he, he has a good game against USF, which threw threw for like five hundred yards. Next game throws two interceptions, throws for like two hundred yards against Tulane. Then he comes out, he threw for like three fifty last week and several touchdowns in that shootout overtime shootout i mean what what's he going to give us this week and if if it history repeats itself we're not i'm not holding my breath on 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 holding Haler's having a great game because he he's so back and forth when i was looking at this matchup and you know holding Haler, like <laughs> he's been the quarterback. like i said there was a game of 2018 he seems like a million years ago he was the quarterback but i was just kind of thinking about what his legacy will be you know, at ECU in terms of, of the quarterback plays, but I mean, his, his book isn't, isn't, isn't fully written yet. I mean, he could, mm-hmm. he's got opportunities I it, mean, to be viewed in a completely different light, at least a much better light than, I mean, he's not, he's not viewed in a poor light, but I know he's going to hold all, all the records and a lot of that comes with being a quarterback for five years. But I mean, if he mm-hmm. could be UCF, if he could knock off a Cincinnati, a BYU, a Houston, any of those teams, I mean, he can kind of cement his legacy here, you know, more, much more so than it, what it already is right now. Yeah. It, it's one of those things that, and we've seen it with him in the past. He'll go, he'll start off kind of slow. And then as the season progresses, like once we get into the back end of the year, last year, I think he went like three or four games without an interception. I mean, that's, that that's his problem. His problem's not fumbling the ball. His problem is sometimes his decision-making and, and his interceptions and that they go hand in hand. Right. Um, if he can figure out how to go the next, three or four games without throwing an interception, ECU is going to be in a good spot. But, uh, well, that that's all I got. Artie, uh, do you have anything else? That's now, Brandon, right. Brandon, you, uh, you told me you're coming to Greenville. You've said you've been to Greenville several times. Have you been to Sup Dogs yet? I have not. Uh, I was not. I, I maybe I've seen it. I, I've seen it being actually. You recommended it to me a few minutes ago. I think I saw some mentions on Twitter. Um, you know, I, I guess we had you know, like we talked about. There was a little bit of that barbecue controversy this week, but uh, I think I made check out Sam Ellis's. I think that's uh, Mike Houston name. I've been to Parker's. Um, I was mm-hmm. not the very. The, that's the thing when I you know it's you know that we were talking about barbecue and and that was the controversial statement is. It's a, obviously an acquired taste, I think, uh, Eastern North Carolina barbecue. I remember going to Parker. You know, I knew nothing about Eastern North Carolina. The first time I went, I think, would have been 07. All right. And um, I knew nothing about it. And, oh, Parker's barbecue. Oh, you know, you're thinking barbecue. I wasn't really thinking it was going to be all that different. I remember taking the first bite. I'm like, what? 
what is that? What about this vinegar? What is this vinegar? I didn't even know. I, I that kind of like turned me off. Uh, for I just didn't know what to expect. I was a complete, you know, Eastern North Carolina barbecue virgin. Didn't know anything about it. But I've been there before. I, I was looking a lot. I think I might check that out. Uh, Sub dogs, I'll have to check out. Um, we'll see what else the, the city has to offer. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, always kind of enjoyed uh, the experiences up there. Great, friendly people. And uh, looking forward to that pirate atmosphere one last time. Brandon, let me know before, if you go Saturday before the game, I, I don't know what time I'll be in Greenville, but hit me up. Let, let's, uh, I'll, I'll take you over to Sup Dogs and, and we'll, we'll, go for, <laughs> we'll do it. I'll see good. if that works out. I'll definitely, if not, I'll definitely see you in the stadium on Saturday. For sure. Brandon, safe travels, and uh, go ahead and plug where everybody can find you. Yeah, well, I, I'm the publisher of UCFSports.com, part of the Rivals Network. I'm on Twitter at UCF Sports, uh, and uh, you can find me there. And thank thank you very much for, for having me, guys. I really enjoy talking football. Absolutely. All ours. Thank you. Once again, that was our interview with Brandon Helwig of Rivals.com and UCFSports.com. Always great talking to him. He, he he provided some great insight. It was fun having a conversation about about where where this conference is going and and get really getting a true outsider's perspective, like Brandon's on on somebody that enjoys coming to Greenville and, and enjoys uh, this matchup. Um, so yeah, thank you, Brandon. Artie, do you have any? Uh, do you have a walk the plank? Walk the plank. Oh man. Yeah, my you know my my walk to plank is uh, is Uni Swag. That that would that would definitely be my my walk to plank. Uni Swag had us number, number two. two, number two for the week. I, who's number? Because I didn't even see who was number one. I, don't, I mean, I, I didn't care enough to, to UCF to with with those little space cadet uniforms. Yeah. No, look, those those are cool. They were cool. I'm not gonna lie, they were cool. Then there Cape Canaveral. I get it with the with the space blue. But come on now. The ECU, the ECU throwbacks. That's yeah. I, you don't, you don't have any argument for me there, Artie. I'm not even trying to um, be biased. I just really think they were the cleanest uniforms from the yeah. From the week. I, I think so. I think so. so. Uni swag walked the damn plank. They should have been number one. So that's yeah. That that would definitely be my walk the plank this week. All right, mine is uh, Robbie Anderson. You get in a fight on the sideline. Your team sucks, anyways. Uh, and then you get shipped out, traded the next day. You're lucky you didn't get cut. I mean, and I hate the Panthers. So Robbie Anderson walked the damn plank. Uh, Which I mean, he's not even a good enough receiver to kind of be barking like that. He's yeah. really not. Yeah, seriously, you're not. You're not like a Kyle Pitts, or I mean, I you're not a Devonte Adams, right? I mean, Devonte I mean, Adams. Devonte Adams just shoves a cameraman. Right. Well, look, he's a starter on a shitty football team. So, you know, if 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 you're playing for for you know Buffalo Bills, are you really a or starter, the, or are you just kind of a rotational piece? So, if you're playing on the Bears, you're a starter. Well, I can play for the Bears, Jared. <laughs> I can I can play for the Bears. All right. Well, Artie, uh, let's do some betting lines, and then let's get the hell out of here. I'm I'm kind of getting hungry. I need to eat. Yes, sir. Uh, number nine, UCLA at number ten, Oregon. Oregon's a six-point favorite. The over/under is seventy and a half. There's gonna be a lot of points scored in this game. Not much defense. Uh, man, these are two teams that I did not expect to see in the top ten at, at all. Especially after Oregon got drugged. I mean, they got yeah. 
They got the shit beat out of them to, to Georgia. I thought they were done. Um, I'm I'm taking Oregon. I, I'm I think Oregon wins by two touchdowns. I mean UCLA is not wow. UCLA is not used to playing in a any atmosphere. Um, got to go in to Eugene in the Autzen Stadium. Um, give me Oregon by two touchdowns. I'm the uh, I'm 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 the complete opposite. I gotta go. I gotta go UCLA, and I I think UCLA some dogs. I think they're legit. I, I think UCLA probably should be the favorite to win the Pac-12, in my honest opinion. I think uh, Utah's win this past weekend against SC was impressive. So Utah, it, they're, they're very much still in the mix. But I think UCLA is legit, and I think they're gonna prove it this weekend against Oregon. I don't think they win by two touchdowns, but I do think they win by ten. So yeah, give me give me uh, give me the Bruins. Is it is this being played at UCLA? It's at Oregon. Okay, so at least it'd be a good crowd because if it was in LA, that, that's be what no- that's what I just said, Artie. Do you not even listen? <laughs> I literally said there's no atmosphere at UCLA. <laughs> that went one ear out the other. I didn't even I didn't even hear you. That nobody shows up to UCLA. Nobody. No. San Jose State draws better than UCLA. Um, yeah. All right. Now we, we got a full slate in in the American. A lot of good games going on in the American this week. Memphis at Tulane. Number 25, Tulane, the first time they're ranked since 1998. Uh, Artie, Tulane's a seven-point favorite. The over-under is 56-and-a-half. I'm taking the over on this game. And uh, part of me just part of me wants to say Memphis wins this game. They Somehow they find a way. They bounce back after two tough losses on the road at Tulane. Tulane's not known for their, their crowds. It, it's one of those games that, hey, like, and it's one of those games that I feel like Memphis could win and get their season back on the right track. Memphis is absolutely good enough to win this ball game, and they're going to be pissed off, and they're going to give Tulane everything they can exactly. have. Exactly. Memphis is going to give them everything they can have. The same way that Tulane's the loss to Tulane pissed us off, and we gave Memphis right. everything we had. But I, I, don't, I, I still think Tulane's legit. I think Tulane's a, a good football team. I, I do too. I, I think they're good. I think this is the one rare occasion where their stadium is going to be pretty full. I think people are going to show up for this one. I think people will show up for this one. I, I got Tulane. I got Tulane and a barn burner because Memphis is going to give them everything. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting game. Um, did number twenty-one Cincinnati three and a half point favorites at SMU in Dallas? The over/under is fifty-eight and a half. Um, these are two high-powered offenses. I, I still think I want to take the over. Um, and I, I, I'm taking Cincinnati by 10. Yeah, SMU's not the same program that they, they have been in years past. Um, I, I still think they got a good offense, but uh, yeah, Cincinnati's gonna win this ballgame for sure. Um, and then finally, Artie, the game of the week, college game day's missing a massive opportunity. <laughs> UCF at East Carolina, UCF is a five point favorite. The line started at three. It's moved to five thanks to people betting on the on the Knights. Uh, don't call them the Golden Knights. I, I learned that last year. They're not the Golden Knights anymore. Um, so don't call them that. ECU hopes to charge on as, as we move on through the season. And you got to get one win against one of these Big 12 future teams. Um, Artie, am I crazy if I say I think ECU can – pull a rabbit out of their hat and beat UCF this weekend? Look, I think Central Florida, I think on paper they're a better team than us. 
And I think that maybe even in reality, they're a better team than us. But that's only because we've underperformed and, and we've been inconsistent. I don't I don't think you would be uh, insane to say the East, you can win this ballgame. But um, it, it, it's quarterback play. It's it's consistency from our offense. And honestly, it's going to it's going to be better defensive play, too. I mean, we had we had plays and we had good moments on defense last week. But we can't give up those kind of points against UCF because they got a better offense than Memphis. Here, so. Here's my thing is looking at it, nobody that UCF has played impresses me. Not really. No. Their, their schedule does not impress me one bit. Not really. They, this is their only their second true road game of the year. The last time was Florida Atlantic. Right. I mean – there may have been more fans at the Florida or at the ECU USF game in Boca Raton than Florida Atlantic fans in in their own stadium. Um, I, I just don't I don't see it, Artie. I I think like UCF's a good program. I just have a sneaking feeling that Mike Houston gets his signature win this weekend. And would you consider this a signature win? I, I would, I would absolutely, because I don't think last week was was a signature one. I think that no. was a must. That wasn't. A, that was a must win, not a signature one. I think you win this one because people don't expect East Carolina to win this game. They don't. I don't. I don't think people expect East Carolina to come in and win this game at home. I, I think number one, the crowd has to be there. I, like it, it's it's so paramount and, to the success even, of this. I will say, even with the lack of crowd support last week, the place was still rocking. It was right. still very loud. Because the people that are there are going to be loud. They're, they're going to be loud. They're going to be into the game. But I, I will say, I mean, there's just something about a, a, a damn near sold out or packed out house at Dowdy that just makes it even more better. And then on top of that, um, this is to me, this is a legacy game, not only for uh, Mike Houston. This is a legacy game for Houghton Aylers. I, I think there needs to be some pressure on Houghton Aylers. This is a, like you can still write your legacy because for all the accolades and all the the, the, the stats and, and awards and 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 records that that Holton has, if 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 they don't, if you know, if they finish six and six or five and seven this season, he's going to be a forgotten quarterback in ECU history. That's just what it is. That's the, he's going to be a forgotten quarterback, and he's going to be a uh, you know because he's he's still got a record that's under five hundred, and I believe it's well under five hundred. So oh, yeah, this is this is a legacy game, not just for Mike Houston. This is a legacy game for 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 you know Holton Aylers, and so. They've got to come out. This is a signature win if they can beat Central Florida, a team that we have not beaten and God feels like 15 years. So absolutely. We haven't, I, we I, haven't beaten I, them since uh the the Hell Mary, at least. Right. It, it, it just it feels like forever ago. Actually, so, no, yeah. no, we beat uh, we did beat them in 2015. That was the last time we beat them when they were Which is still a long time ago. And they were 0 12 that year. Jerry, we, we were still in school. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> We were in school, so yeah, things got to change. I definitely think it'd be a signature win. I'm, oh man, I want, I, I do it. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go ECU. I, I, I don't, I, I, I think this is a game. I, I think we can pull it out. I, I think heart and and mind is telling me, I think we can pull this game out this weekend. If we do the things and we play as well as, as we know we can play. You come not, all, all I'm gonna say is if you can put the same amount of pressure that you put on Seth Hennigan, if you put that same pressure on, on Plumlee, the quarterback, I mean, 
EC sacked Hennigan like six times last week. Because for for me, it's not about stopping UCF's offense. UCF UCF offense, they're going to score points. That like they're going to get into the end zone. They're going to score. You got to make them make mistakes. You you got you got to get some turnovers. You got to make them make some mistakes. You got to get a a, a few three and outs. You got to limit their score. You're not going to completely stop them. No, you can keep them twenty eight. 30 points, I think that is good enough from our defense because our offense is going to need to put up 35 to win this game. I, I, I think they got to put up 35 to win this game. That's just no – You get you get Jalen – you're probably getting Jalen Johnson back this week. Uh, you got C.J. Johnson who's been playing lights out. Isaiah mm-hmm. Winstead, we already talked about him. Keaton Mitchell, already talked about him. And then right. if Holton Aylers can figure it out and play like he did at least like he did last week, where he didn't at times didn't look the greatest, but he didn't look terrible. You give me that, plus the way our defense can play, right? We'll win this ball game. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it, Artie. Any final thoughts? Hey, Pirate Nation! I hate that I can't be here this weekend. I think it's going to be electric. I think it's going to be an awesome game. Let's show up. Let's show out. And uh, let's get this dub, man. Let's go to five and three. Let's uh, rewrite this season and finish strong. Love you, Pirate Nation. As always, wash your hands, wash your filthy butts, and deuce. Yeah, join me uh, after the game. I'm going to go live on Twitter Spaces after the press conference. Um, Join me then. Hey, I got an hour and a half drive back to the the beach um, this weekend anyway. So, um, who better to talk to than Pirate Nation after the EC victory? All right. So, uh, yeah, like I already said, uh, we'll talk to you next week. I'll uh, I'll see you at the game this weekend, Pirate Nation. Get loud and be proud and beat UCF. Yes, Sorry, John, Pirates. Walk the damn plank. UCF, we out. Peace.